Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years, I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform, and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 212. So here we are in November. I'm recording this on November 3rd. This will go live on November 7th. And I actually wrote my notes October 7th. That's obviously wrong. Uh, So you'll be listening to this on or after November 7th, 2022. So we are heading into the last eight weeks of 2022. And I have mixed feelings about it um, for a number of reasons. They're all really good feelings, although I always just have a little bit of nostalgia for the year when we're coming up on the end of the year. Just when I think about um, some of the things that I set as goals for the year, and I'll get to that in a moment. And I wonder, how do you feel about the fact that the year is just about over? You know, what what comes up for you when you think about think about that? And also the prospect of starting a new year is upon us as well. And so I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, I'll have some different themes that speak to just the energy surrounding, you know, the new year coming up, especially as it relates to us as teachers. So the main topic for today's episode is a a general theme about really ways that you can distinguish yourself as a teacher. And I guess you could kind of say this sounds a little bit like a marketing topic. It's really, I guess on some level, it obviously is. It's really though designed to be kind of an empowering conversation, one where you can really begin to embrace what makes you unique, what makes you you (laughs) and really um, begin to share as you're teaching in a way that highlights your unique qualities. Because let's face it, there are thousands of yoga teachers out in the world. And when students come and take your class, isn't it, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if your class had a particular um, ambiance, not, not so much environmentally in terms of the environment of the, of the room, but just something that would really distinguish it as your class. So, so their experience is, is unique to taking your class. And so that you also have a way to, 
um, fearlessly and without apology share and teach in a way that completely lights you up. And that's what this episode is going to be about today. I have a couple of intro topics, though, just kind of some fun chit chat. I always think when I come on the podcast here, I kind of feel like I'm on a talk show, <laughs> except it's just me. And I was actually thinking today as I was prepping for this episode, I would sort of love to have a uh, once a month or maybe twice a month uh, get together on Zoom where we sort of had just rolling topics, kind of like a teacher's book club, but maybe I could call it like a yoga teacher's topic club, something along those lines, where we just got together and just chatted as teachers. I think that I know I would certainly enjoy that. If you think that's something you would like, can you send me a DM and say, yes, book club, not so much book club, yes, topic club. And I'll see if I get a bunch of responses about setting something like that up. You know, but here on the podcast, because it is just me talking out into the void, but I know that you are out there and you are eventually going to be listening to this. And so I do sort of still get the energy as if we were in the same room. And that's why I called this show Conversations for Yoga Teachers. And, you know, as it relates to what I was just talking about, this topic of making yourself, you know, leveraging ways to, to stand out, this is what makes this podcast unique. The fact that I'm doing it makes it unique. It's just baked in. No one else can do this podcast the way I do because they're not me. Just like if you were to have your own podcast, or maybe you do, or when you go in and teach your classes, no one else can do it like you do it because they're not you. And I think that in an industry where there's thousands and thousands of teachers, it's so important that we really embrace what makes us different and really sort of think of it as our special qualities, our zone of genius, you know, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I know for myself here, when I do the podcast, I really feel like I am just in flow. I am just in the flow of completely loving what I'm doing. And that's exactly how I would love you to feel when you are teaching um, that, you know, that it's just flowing from you as a unique individual and you're just loving sharing of yourself. I mean, honestly, that is how I feel when I'm here on the show with you and when I'm on social media and it did take me some time to get there. And if you're feeling blocked to get there, I want you to set up a call with me because that's definitely something we can talk about and we can work through so that you can share freely when you are teaching. So before we get into this topic, this main topic for the show, ways to stand out as a teacher, I wanted to share with you just a fun story. For those of you who have listened to my show for most of this year, you might recall in January, I talked about my manifestation list. Now, let me just say for those of you, or if you're listening and you hear the word manifestation and your hair, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, or maybe that's not the right analogy. If you're sort of not into the whole manifestation thing, um, let me assure you that I say manifestation list with a little bit of 
not really tongue in cheek, but I say it from the perspective of, yes, I call it a manifestation list because in part, I think of glitters and fairies and, you know, you know, stars and everything. When I hear the word manifestation by the same token, though, I am a planner. When I worked a corporate job, one of my jobs was a project planner and I worked, uh, anyway, I won't go into it, but I managed a team of software developers and we created software for the healthcare industry and I managed the project plan. I bet you didn't know that about me, but that was one of the things that I did. And I was really good at it because I'm really, really good with details and plans. And that's why manifesting for me is really about that. It's about making plans to get things done, putting pen to paper, writing out the plans, having accountability to stick with the plan and working to end result. And I can certainly tell you, end result for me isn't always what I set out as a goal. However, it doesn't mean I don't follow through with the plan. And I would highly suggest that for you as well. It's not always goal-driven, even though the plan has a goal in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to things around teaching and building your business and getting yourself out there. And, you know, if you're creating products like I am, and if you're going to create some products and you're thinking about, you know, some fears around what if I don't, you know, have the outcome I want with that product creation, keep in mind, a lot of the benefit that you get is simply coming from going through the process. So the the process and sticking with it is oftentimes where so much of your growth, of my growth and development comes from. So having said all of that, I do have a manifestation list. And in January, I shared here on the podcast about how the first thing on my manifestation list was to manifest a red mini Cooper, a two door red mini Cooper, which I have coveted for over 10 years. However, I had a Subaru Outback that was so great and I loved it. And it just, it just was never going to completely give up. However, over the past couple of years, it has, it had a number of problems because it was a really old car. It was from 20, 2000 and 2002. And so I was sort of trying to get ahead of things and getting a new car. And I thought to myself, oh, this is an opportunity for me to finally get the car that I want. And I started looking at new Mini Coopers and they just were out of the price range that I wanted to spend. And I started to look for used Mini Coopers and they all had so many miles and I couldn't seem to find the one that I wanted. And then in the middle of the night in January, I think it was like January 7th, I woke up in the middle of the night. I couldn't get to sleep. I started Googling consumer reports reports on Mini Coopers. And I was directed to an article about um, issues with Mini Coopers of which there were hardly any. And embedded in that random article that pulled up on Google was a link, find used Mini Coopers in your area. I clicked the link. I was directed to a dealer about 20 minutes from my house. I looked on their website and the first listing I saw was for the exact car I wanted. And it was a 2013 and it was in amazing shape, hardly ever driven. And within 72 hours of seeing that in the middle of the night, I went and got the car on January 10th. So I wasn't even two weeks into January and I manifested the first thing on my list. 
So I've been, you know, driving that car all year this year, and it's been amazing and I love it. And I actually sort of have a little bit too much of an attachment to it from a material perspective. Anyway, be that as it may, there have been some other things on my manifestation list. And one of the sort of random things on my list that I added in the beginning of the year was an old fashioned typewriter, a Smith Corona like my mother used to have. My mother back in the day was a secretary in New York City. And she also, um, my father was in grad school. My father has his PhD in organic chemistry. And my mother used to type people's theses for them um, when they were in college and grad school. And she typed, of course, my father's thesis for grad school, and she typed it on that typewriter. And I don't really remember, but she tells me these days or tells me now and has told me in years past that I was a baby and a playpen. And even as I was a toddler and she'd be typing away. So of course, when I had this thought, I went to my mom and she said, oh, Karen, I gave our typewriter away to Goodwill years ago. Okay. <laughs> so then I sort of so, so I started looking online and I actually found a typewriter shop nearby, but every time I would call them, they would be closed. So I sort of let it go by the wayside. And I had lunch with a good friend of mine about a, a week ago. And she said, Hey, did you ever follow up and get that typewriter? And I thought, Oh God, it's almost November 1st. And that's on my manifestation list. Let me get to it. So I went on Facebook and I posted that I was looking for a Smith Corona old fashioned typewriter. And then I said to myself, oh, let me go to Facebook Marketplace. Have you ever used this? Actually, one of my um, business mentors, James Wedmore, he posts about things he gets on Facebook Marketplace all the time. And, and he came to my mind and I thought, wow, let me go look at Facebook Marketplace. So long story short, I found a totally mint condition Smith Corona typewriter from an older couple that lives about 10 minutes from me. They sold it to me for $70, which was over 150 bucks less. All the ones I saw at the, at the typewriter place I was looking at in Cambridge, Mass, were over $200. They sold me this for 70 bucks cash. It is in perfect condition. It comes with the case. Oh my God, it, it is just absolutely fabulous. And I don't know... I mean, I'm 58, so I actually, in high school, was taught how to type on a typewriter. Hello. I don't know if you've ever actually heard a real typewriter and the sound it makes. I mean, you probably have maybe in a movie or something. It makes the most amazing sound. Do you know that they even sell keyboards for your laptop that you can use that have the click-click of the typewriter keys for people who love that sound? Anyway, I got it yesterday. The couple was completely adorable. I think they were about in their early 80s. I told them all about my manifestation list. The woman's sister had died, and that was how she happened upon the typewriter. She was so grateful to, to, to sell it to me. And it's here in the house. I set it up yesterday, and I'm going to be journaling on it. I'm going to be writing things on it that are from books that I'm currently reading to kind of make the thoughts really sink into the brain, you know, when you write things out. So that's on my manifestation list. The other things on my list have to do with some business goals I have, and I have a whole big section for travel. Travel is something that is so important to me. And when I was prior to the pandemic, teaching all the time, it was impossible for me to travel because to get coverage for my classes was always so difficult. So since the pandemic shut down the studios, 
and my in-person teaching responsibilities have really changed. I have more freedom to do things. And so I really am focused on doing a lot more travel. Now, in 2022, truth be told, and this is one of the reasons I have a little nostalgia about the fact that the um, year is ending, I have not done as much travel as I wanted. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons is when we got Coco, our dog, in March of last year, he just basically consumes my life. <laughs> he is a handful. And even if he wasn't such a handful, going out of town is always challenging when you have a pet. I'm sure you know that if you have a pet. So that has been a challenge. And there have been some blips I've had in terms of finances. And I've been a little concerned about investing money in travel, which I am absolutely no longer going to have. And I am just going for it. So that's not going to be an issue anymore. Now, having said that, I have done some fun little trips this year. And I wonder for you, have you treated yourself with some fun trips this year? I've done some really cute local things. Like we went to Portland, Maine. I talked about that on the show. We went to Newport, Rhode Island. I've gone to visit my family in New Jersey. My parents are getting older. So that's really important to me. I've done that a couple of times. Um, I did have an opportunity to go to St. Martin in April. And I'm also going this month because I'm fortunate in that my boyfriend, Ben, his family has had a house in St. Martin for many, many years. And if any, if you're listening and you've seen the cover of uh, my two books, or maybe you have my book. They're both taken in St. Martin. Those pictures, some of the pictures I post when I'm there, um, obviously are when I'm there. You'll you'll notice it's a very islandy type look. So I'm super grateful that I have that opportunity for travel. So yes, I have done some things. However, I will tell you, Italy and London are right up on my list, and Italy in particular is. Totally. I am obsessed. I am Italian. I have never been to Italy. I am currently ripping through Stanley Tucci's Searching for Italy on CNN. If you are not watching that and you love travel and you loved Anthony Bourdain's show on CNN, you will love Stanley Tucci Searching for Italy. There's two seasons, about 20 episodes. He literally goes through all the major uh, places in Italy. I'm so obsessed with it that I actually ordered uh, a map of Italy off of Amazon the other night, and I can't wait for it to show up because I'm going to post that, and that's going to start to shape my travel plans for Italy. And this is what I mean about you know manifesting things. It's about taking steps to make things happen, and even something like that, getting the map, putting it on the wall, watching the show. Um, I've started to to follow some um, people on TikTok and Instagram, but TikTok in particular that are travel travel influencers. And so I get lots of, you know, just information uh, in my feed, a lot of posts in my feed about travel to different places. And it's just, these are the things that you do when you want to manifest stuff. You start to really shift your focus to those things you want to make happen in your life. So that is... The manifestationless topic I want to talk about. And I wanted to ask you in wrapping up this part of the conversation, do you have a manifestation list? If you don't, why not? 
If you don't, will you make one? Because guess what? You've got two more months <laughs> of this year to manifest a couple of things. So get to it. If you want some help in creating a manifestation list, I'm happy to have a little manifestation chit chat with you. So just let me know and we'll set that up. Um, the other thing I wanted to share with you is if you have not yet listened to about two episodes ago when I had my friend Lisa um, Marie Rankin on, definitely go back and listen to that because um, the episode was really, really interesting. And it was all about this idea of practical wisdom that we in today's times can pull from the goddesses uh, and the goddesses being mythical figures in history and religion, not so much religion, but maybe a little bit of religion. And um, some of the themes that come from these mythical figures in history over time. And this is very much focused on a conversation for women uh, in particular, although these themes could sort of be applied agnostically across the spectrum of gender. Um, however, it, it seems to be I mean, I think actually all, I haven't finished the book, but I think all of these are female uh, um, figures in history. And in one of the chapters, and so if you do have the book, I'm talking about the chapter uh, about Mary Magdalene, which interestingly is a figure in religion, the Catholic religion. And I know that because I was raised Catholic as an Italian. And um, however, the, the piece that I want to share with you has nothing to do with religion. Um, it has more to do with a theme that comes up in personal development. And when I was reading this the other night, it was so transformative for me that I went back and read it two or three times. And then when I got the typewriter yesterday, I actually typed this out because I really wanted to remember it. And this is a little, just a little dose of just thinking about um, how we operate as humans and how we can, um, you know, if we look at this through a particular lens, how we can maybe shift our way of being so that we can live in a more empowered way, live in a more authentic way and make no mistake about it, how we are in that way of being as a person absolutely is reflected when we teach yoga who you are as a person is who you are as a teacher. You know, I kind of think about my boyfriend as a huge golfer and, you know, Ben always talks about the kind of person you are in general always is amplified when you go on the golf course. And so we see this kind of thing a lot with golfers who are, you know, if they don't really have any integrity as a person, they'll tend to cheat on the golf course. You know, if they're sort of loud and brash, that's how they'll be on the course. If they're impatient, that's how they'll be on the course. So it's sort of the same thing with yoga teaching. And this is why these particular personal development topics are so I feel are so helpful and important for us to talk about because working through any challenges that you have, any um, any barriers that you have to really being your true authentic self will be barriers you experience as a teacher. And this all relates to what I'm going to talk about on today's show, this, this idea of um, distinguishing yourself from other people and how it resides 100% in you fully being yourself. So with that as the backdrop, this topic that we're, that she covers here in the book 
she talks about limiting beliefs. So she says, um, it's easy to scroll through social media and compare ourselves to friends and feel like we're not measuring up. And all of this around, you know, we can feel that way and we sort of end up telling ourselves all these lies about ourselves. And it's sort of triggered by seeing what other people are doing. And she goes on to say, unfortunately, many beliefs were planted in our minds at a very young age. So then she goes on to talk about this idea of identifying your limiting beliefs. So let me ask you right now, what do you have as a limiting belief that you're aware of? Because sometimes we have limiting beliefs we're not aware of. But if if I were to ask you, if we were just sitting down for a cup of tea and, you know, I were to ask you, even in the context of just teaching, what are some limiting beliefs that you have? What are some things that you believe to be true that really are statements that if I heard the statement, I would see it as something where you're sort of talking down about yourself or you're talking in a way that's sort of putting yourself down. So it might be something like, I can never get enough people at my classes. I can never make enough enough money teaching yoga to support myself. I'm never going to be a popular teacher. No one's ever going to like my classes or I'm not um, flexible enough to do these challenging poses. So therefore people aren't going to think I'm a quality teacher because I can't do all these difficult postures. Any of those things our limiting beliefs. So think right now in this moment, as you're listening to me, what's a limiting belief that you have? So she goes on to say, the first step is to identify your limiting belief. When you've been considering them for so long, they can almost become second nature. And this is the important part. Your ego or your small self is the voice reminding you of these beliefs. The ego says these things to protect you, but it doesn't have your higher self, your higher self's best interest in mind. And I really want you to hear that the distinguish, the distinguishing between your ego and your higher self. And this sort of gets into a little bit of elemental psychology. And I think, wasn't it Freud that created this idea of the ego? I think it was the ego and the id. Um, It's just more about though, almost looking at your ego as a separate part of your pure self, your enlightened self. And it's the ego that's really behind all of these self-defeating, self-limiting thoughts. So in relationship to this chapter where she's talking about Mary Magdalene as a goddess in history, she says, Mary Magdalene had to remain confident in herself, her understanding of the teachings and her relationship with Jesus, despite the naysayers. Again, don't react if you're not a religious person. This is less about the religion. Often our loudest critic is our own ego telling us that we're not good enough and shouldn't even try. Overcoming our fear-based ego is a lifelong task. We need to be vigilant about not listening to its fear-based thoughts and proactive about choosing more loving, affirming thoughts. Thoughts become beliefs. Beliefs become actions. Actions become your reality. Now you might ask, how do I know the difference between the voice of my ego and that of my higher self? Maybe my higher self is trying to tell me something. Now, this is really, this part really just, I was blown away by this. She then goes on to say, there are a few ways. The ego speaks loudly. The higher self speaks softly. The ego is urgent. It wants to make its point now. The higher self is patient. It knows that there is all the time in the world. 
The ego attacks by telling you why you are wrong. The higher self doesn't attack. It encourages. Your higher self is not going to fight for airtime. You need to quiet the ego so you can hear your higher self speak. This can be done through daily meditation. So again, that's from uh, the book that Lisa Marie Rankin wrote. It's called The Goddess Solution. She was on the podcast a couple of episodes back. You can re-listen to that or listen to that. If you're interested, you can order the book on Amazon. I wanted to share that particular passage with you because I think that as yoga teachers, we so oftentimes can get tripped up in these self-limiting beliefs. And I know this to be true, not only for myself, I had I had a handful of really deeply entrenched limiting beliefs that in past episodes, I've talked about how I worked with a neuroscience coach to really break free of those. And it was really only then that I developed a really great ability to calm myself back from going down that negative spiral. And in my work coaching yoga teachers, many times, even though, of course, my program is called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and it's Austin, Austin. Tentably about anatomy, learning anatomy, learning about movement, we get into topics like this because even when I get on the um, coaching calls with teachers and a teacher might say, oh gosh, Karen, I'm so sorry. I haven't had time to get to looking at the videos and I feel behind and I feel this pressure. And we start to talk about where's that pressure coming from. And that's oftentimes we get into a conversation about a limiting belief that this teacher has about themselves. So make no mistake about it. You know, all of what we do as teachers is kind of the the showing of ourselves but behind the scenes there can be a lot of inner turmoil and i don't know for you if you feel any of that if you feel when you're teaching there are these thoughts going on in your head these self-limiting beliefs that you have or even outside of teaching but i really like to stay within the zone of of talking about everything i talk about here on the show in regards to you and me as yoga teachers so if we just kind of keep that perimeter around it just think about as you're teaching if you're having these thoughts of maybe feeling self-conscious you don't want to show yourself you're worried about what people think you're worried about people getting hurt um you're worried about how many people are in your class maybe the person who owns the studio is taking your class and now all of a sudden you're way up in your head these are all things that have to do with the trigger, whatever it is, and sending you into this negative self-belief process. And that's why when I read things like that, I want to share it with you because I want you to see how, first of all, worthless all of that worrying is. And most of all, how you can harness your inner power so that you can be the most authentic, um, uh, present, impactful teacher possible. And the only way to do that is to let go of a lot of these bullshit thoughts that we all have. So that's why I wanted to share that with you. So as we head into um, the next theme for this particular episode, I want to just take a, a quick moment and share a little bit about anatomy with you, because I know, you know, you may, some people may come to my show because they're looking for anatomy-based information because that's my specialty. I always... I don't always add it in, but I like to try to have some portion of every episode be a little bit tactical when it comes to information about movement, 
talking about things like the skills that come when we understand movement, skills around cueing and sequencing and answering student questions. So today I wanted to just briefly talk about this idea of sharing cues effectively when it comes to anatomy-based cues. Now, keep in mind, you know, if you haven't been to one of my workshops, or maybe if you have been, uh, I have done a number of workshops on effective cueing, and I break down cues into four different types, action, alignment, anatomy, and feeling-based. And if we're looking just at the anatomy-based cues, uh, one of the things I like to do is share with teachers an effective way to share anatomy-based cues, because let's face it, once we get into sharing anatomy, we're getting into talking about something that's a little bit science-based, <laughs> you know, it potentially can be confusing and our goal as teachers, of course, is never to confuse our students. Our goal is to bring them to clarity as soon as possible. And that means that we have to share cues in a way that it's easy for them to understand. So once we get into sharing anatomy-based cues, two things need to happen. Number one, we need to know what the heck we're talking about. We can't share an anatomy-based cue and expect it to land well on our students if we're just repeating stuff, if we're just copying what somebody else else said. Or worse, if we're making shit up, if we're saying stuff like, oh, contract your abs or, oh, engage your quads. And if we have no idea if those muscles are even contracting or engaging in that posture, why are we saying that? We should not be saying that. We should only use especially anatomy-based cues if we can back it up with why we're saying that. I mean, this really riles me because I hear teachers using cues all the time incorrectly, and I know it's because they don't know. They don't know, and they're just saying stuff. And please don't be that teacher. <laughs> that is not the way you want to distinguish yourself. You want to distinguish yourself by sharing from what you know. And so when we're sharing anatomy-based cues, number one, we have to know what the hell we're talking about. And number two, we have to do it in a way that it's easy for the student to understand. And that's why I'm going to give you a template right now where you can do that. So the template is share with your students anatomy-based cues in a way that focuses on the muscle that's concentrically contracting. Now, already, if you're like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> really, you got to sign up for my program. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You got to get this. This is like basic elemental anatomy. You got to get this down so that you can share anatomy cues effectively and correctly with your students. And guess what? That's going to build your confidence. Now, having said that, I'll just tell you in a snippet, the concentric actor in a muscular contraction is the muscle that's doing the work, the muscle that's creating the desired action. So if I pick up a coffee cup and my elbow is flexing, the biceps and the brachialis muscle are two muscles that are concentrically contracting to create that action. If I ask you in warrior one to engage the muscle of your back thigh so the quadriceps lights up, I'm asking you to do that because your back knee is an extension and the concentric actor to create that knee extension is the quads. If I ask you in chaturanga to hug the sides of the waist in, I'm asking you to do that because I want you to engage the transversus abdominis because that's the muscle concentrically contracting to create that hugging in of the sides of the body to prevent 
the core from dropping when someone is in chaturanga, low push-up. So these are ways that I'm illustrating for you how speaking to the muscle that's concentrically contracting is not only effective to help your students easily understand what the cue is, but it's also effective in helping them create the action you want them to do. And most importantly, what it does is it allows them to now link what they're doing with what's doing it. So that's the takeaway. That's the learning nugget. That's the thing that they now learn from being in your class versus just the general blah, blah, blah cues that are thrown around all the time without linking it. Once you're linking it to what they're doing, it's like the slow drip. There's, you're slow dripping this information so that there's a takeaway for them. Now they're like, oh yeah, I didn't even really know about that transversus abdominis. Who even knew that muscle was engaged when I was moving into low push-up if I hugged the sides of the waist in? That's interesting. That's a new core muscle I didn't know about. Maybe I'll use that when I'm standing on one leg. Maybe I'll use that when I'm running. Maybe I'll just use that in different parts of my day to create more stability around the midline. Like this is how you increase your impact as a teacher. This kind of topic gets me so freaking fired up because I really want you to see how essential it is to understand anatomy. And, you know, quite honestly, from a marketing standpoint, people tell you not to use the word understand because what they tell me or what I read or what I hear from different people in the online marketing spaces. Nobody wants to understand anything. That's too much work. Well, you know what? That makes me insane because guess what? If we're not willing to work, we're not going to get anywhere, right? So I can sort of sugarcoat it, but the reality is, yeah, there's going to be a little work involved for you to understand anatomy, but guess what? There is such a fucking payoff at the end. The payoff is you are going to rock your classes. You are going to stand in your power. You're going to feel your feet on the floor. You're not going to have to practice with them. You're going to talk them through their cues, talk them through those poses, answer questions like a rock star, give them customized sequences to take home and do. It's just going to be the glue that glues everything together. And I so have experienced that as a teacher and the teachers that I've worked with have so experienced that. And that's the kind of thing that it always sort of baffles me. I just, I want it to be such a no brainer for teachers to be like, Karen, I am so with you, sign me up. And I just sort of don't feel like that. I feel like it's this convincing, you know, oh, you really need, you know, and that, just to me, like nobody wants to be convinced of anything. Don't you kind of feel like that's such a drag when somebody's trying to convince you of something and believe it, believe me for the convincer, that's not a fun place to be either. So that's why I don't try to convince people do whatever you want. I just will continue to speak truth to the transformation that will happen when you understand anatomy, when you understand anatomy and movement in the context of teaching yoga. And I will go to my grave, you know, just touting the benefits of that, not just to you as a teacher, but to the students who come to your classes. So here in wrapping up this particular part of the conversation, keep in mind as you're sharing anatomy-based cues, only share what you know and share 
your anatomy based cues by focusing on the muscle that is concentrically contracting. Have that be your laser point focus and you won't overwhelm your students and you'll give them something that they can leave your class with as a little knowledge nugget that maybe they didn't know before. I bet most of the people coming to your classes don't even know about the transversus abdominis. So it's something they can take away to improve their life, to improve the way they move off the mat. And that is the way you increase your impact as a teacher. If we're just teaching to have impact on them for the 60 minutes they're in our class, that's not good enough in my opinion. We want our impact to be way beyond that. We want our classes to be the springboard for our students to have better health in their life. And if we just focus on the musculoskeletal system, because that's sort of where you can focus as the primary system of the body that benefits from a vinyasa practice or a yoga practice, there's so much that we can impact off the mat if in class, on the mat, we're knowledgeable about anatomy, we're confident in sharing our cues, and we're adding value with the classes and the sequences that we offer. So that's our conversation about anatomy. So in wrapping up this episode, let's just do a, a conversation about this main topic I wanted to share on, which has to do with ways to stand out as a teacher. So I'm going to give you the quick list, and then I'm going to go into each one and just give you a little snippet of each on each. So ways to stand out as a teacher. Number one, be yourself, be you. Number two, use your own cues. Number three, use less or no music. Number four, chat with students both before and after class. Number five, share of yourself. Number six, walk around the room versus practicing with your class. Number seven, add myofascial release to your classes if you can. And number eight, use silence. I like that one. All right. So Here's just a couple of quick snippets around why I pick these particular things as items to add to the list of what can make you help you stand out as a teacher. Number one, be you. I mean, this sort of goes without saying. However, it's so not done. I mean, I've talked on the show before about online classes I've taken where I know the teacher that the teacher who I'm taking it from has trained under, and the person is just totally ripping off that mentor. So like that's an extreme example, but there's lots of different ways you can hijack other people's personality and bring them into your teaching. Don't do that. <laughs> just be yourself. You know, here on the podcast, I don't try to be like other podcasters and I listen to a shit ton of podcasts. I just don't. I am just unapologetically myself. I curse, I laugh, I share my dreams. I, I talk about things in my personal life. I bring to the table the topics I want. I have the guests on that I want. This show is 100% me. And I don't make any apologies about that. And that's what makes this show different. And even though it might ha not have a million downloads, I don't care because I know that I can stand behind every single episode as being 100% authentically mine, me, and, and information that I wanted to share in the way I want to share it. So just keep that in mind. Just go into your classes and just just, just share of yourself, however that looks and feels to you. And if you find yourself starting to try to be like somebody else, just 
hear that voice in your head, stop, don't do that, and just show up more like yourself. Number two, use your own cues. Don't use cues from other people. Don't repeat stuff you hear from other teachers. I mean, of course, there's some repetition. There's only so many ways we can talk about getting into Warrior One, for instance. But most of all, what I'm trying to say is just, you know, use, lean into what you know, what you can stand behind, what you can justify, you know, lean into um, sharing from your own experience and repertoire. All of this repeating, lift the leg, inhale, step forward, exhale, like all of that is just so overdone at this point, friends. We do not need to be all saying the same stuff. There is no magic recipe for how to cue people in these postures. You know, I will endlessly say, if you're unsure of the anatomy, speak to the action. And when you speak to the action, there are definitely different ways you can do that so that it does sound more authentically you. You don't have to cue every breath. You don't have to have people lift their leg before they step forward into warrior one. Um, you don't have to say use Sanskrit. You don't have to give people the name of the pose every single damn posture. You can just tell them what to do. Like there are ways that you can cue people in action cueing format where you totally sound like yourself, where there's no difference between I'm talking to Karen, the Karen, the person, and then all of a sudden there's Karen, the yoga teacher. Okay, everybody, let's come on to our mat. Like, who is that person? <laughs> right. And as a newer teacher, I did do that. I put on the persona, a uh, persona of the teacher. And then after a while, I was like, this sucks. This is not me. Who is this person that I'm becoming as soon as I step across the threshold of the studio? So just don't do that. Okay. <laughs> um, use your own cues. And if you're really struggling to come up with cues, God, book a call with me. Like I just, I say this every episode and no one ever books a call. It's just so disheartening. I mean, I am out here saying I'm here for you. I am here for you. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want to get on the phone and have conversations with teachers. So if you're listening to any of this and you're feeling like, I just have no idea how to pull this off, just set up a call with me. Just send me a DM, send me an email. I'm happy to get on the phone with you. Okay, so third thing, use less or no music. Oh my God. I mean, can you even imagine going into a yoga class and not having any music? I mean, right now, just about... Everybody uses music. So one way you can distinguish yourself as a teacher is forget about the music. Have people just hear your voice, take them through the postures. Think about how amazing it's going to be for their nervous system to just have that down regulation because of all the stimulation we typically get. And then to walk into a studio room, take a class and not have any music is just such a relief for the nervous system. And so you can facilitate that downregulation of the nervous system by not having music. You can also, hello, give yourself less to worry about and really lean into being uh, more present and really own all of these things we're talking about, being authentic, providing cues clearly, showing up for your students. All of that is so much easier when you don't have to worry about the music. So distinguish yourself by not using music in most of your classes. The next one, chat with students before and after. Um, so just be available, get there a little early, hang out in the lobby, wait for class to be over, just hang around and wait for those shy students to come up and ask you a question. I don't necessarily mean go up to people and be like, hey, what'd you think? Or, hey, having any questions? Or I sort of 
just like to let people run that kind of thing on their own and, and approach when they want to approach. The idea, though, is to just make yourself available. And that's definitely something that will distinguish you. The next thing is to share of yourself. You know, not necessarily lots of personal things, but like here on the show, I just shared about my manifestation list and the story about the Mini Cooper and the typewriter. Like that's a story. That's something personal. It doesn't necessarily relate to yoga. However, I used it as a springboard to ask you, do you have a manifestation list? How do you feel about manifesting things? How do you even feel about the word to manifest? Is it a trigger word for you? Does it bring up like negative thoughts? Do you feel like it's baloney? Like any of these kinds of things, I always share with a hook to make it relatable to you, to, to use it as a springboard to bring up a topic that I think could be helpful for us to talk about. So that's what I mean when I talk about sharing of yourself as a yoga teacher. You're not sharing of yourself in a self-serving way. You're sharing of yourself in a way to spark thought in your class. So if there's a particular theme that you have or something you've experienced as a person or something you're currently experiencing that you think has a broader theme for your students, that's a perfect opportunity to share a little bit about you, what you're going through, so that you can facilitate or spark light or engage in your students an interest in thinking about it as it relates to them. And that is also a way you can distinguish yourself as a teacher. The next thing is Walk around versus practicing with your students. You know, I don't really know the numbers on this, but I would guess if we were to look out there at every single yoga class happening, I bet you more than 50% of the class classes are run by teachers who are practicing with their students. I have no data to support that. So it's probably who knows. I just feel like from, from most of what I see out there in terms of people commenting on social media from conversations I've had with teachers from teachers in my program there's so much practicing going on therefore it stands to reason right if you want to make your class stand out if you want to make the experience stand out for your students don't practice with them I've talked about this on many many episodes walk around the room don't even put a mat down oh my goodness can you imagine if you walked into the studio and didn't even put a mat down like if that would totally freak you out, that's a sign you need to do that. <laughs> you really need to do that. And again, if you're struggling with how am I going to possibly give up practicing with my class, just book a call with me. I'll talk you through exactly how to do it. So that's a way to distinguish yourself. And you're going to walk around the room and you're going to just be sharing cues. And if you don't want to assist people, you don't have to. The point is just walking around the room gives you energetic proximity to them, which is so much more presence building than standing up in front of the room all the time on a yoga mat, doing all the practice or even doing, you know, half of it or some, some percentage of it. The next thing is, this is a little bit, you might not be able to do this, but see if there's a way you can add some myofascial release to your classes. If you're a little bit unsure about the technique of MFR, you can download the um, MFR guide that's attached to the show notes of this episode, or you can just DM me for my myofascial release guide and I'll email it to you directly to download. Um, I'm not going to go into myofascial release here right now in detail, the, the idea, though, is it is a technique you can use to distinguish yourself from other classes that your students will go to. And I'll tell you, you don't necessarily have to use a foam roller or an MFR ball. You could actually bring 
uh, references to fascia into your general flow. You can bring some different things you can have students do without the actual MFR tools that will facilitate focus on the fascia versus the muscle. Um, so there are some creative ways you can blend MFR concepts into your teaching without actually having the tools. The point is though, if you have the leeway to use the tools, especially if you're teaching privately, you should have these tools because you'll definitely want to use these tools in a private session. So adding a little myofascial is a great way to distinguish your classes. And again, just keep in mind, this is a whole topic. I cover this extensively in my program. Uh, that is another reason to sign up for my program. You'll get a whole special focus on that. And, um, and it is something that not only benefits you from a self-care technique, but benefits your students from a self-care technique, as well as 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 well as it enhances their ability to practice because it specifically addresses joint mobility by creating a better relationship between the muscle and the fascia, what we what is called slide and glide. Uh, and you want that good slide and glide relationship between the layers so that your students have more mobility in their joints. And then the last thing to distinguish your classes from others is to use silence, to not talk so much. <laughs> as I just sit here and talk for an hour, um, to not talk so much, to just, you know, give them time to be in silence, give them time to just be with their thoughts, give them some inquiry questions, and then just leave them to observe. So that those are all ways that you can really distinguish your, uh, your classes from other people. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I think this was about an hour. <laughs> Um, a little bit longer than I thought I was going to go, but, um, but that's fine, hopefully. And if you're still listening here, you're at the end of the episode. I want to thank you so much for your attention throughout. I love doing this. I hope you love listening again, take me up on my offer for a one-on-one -on -one free coaching call about whatever your questions are. Think about what is your biggest challenge right now? What's your biggest problem? What are you struggling with? Those are perfect topics for us to talk about on a free coaching call. You can set it up by DMing me on Instagram or sending me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. I hope to see you on this next episode, the next episode coming up. In the meanwhile, be safe, be well, be happy, be healthy, start that manifestation list, and I'll see you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page, the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page. And it's a way that you can access 
educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you wanna to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.